3: fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Hello and welcome to the Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Proudly sponsored by
0: the STFC Official Supporters Club.
1: Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a
4: good shot! Oh, a goal! foul! Well post for that goal!
3: Oh, I how we win this league anyway? Richie. he's hit it? It's cracked. <clears throat> oh, he's a fluid.
0: Hello, Hasney. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Now, for those who listen to this podcast, they don't necessarily appreciate how you guys make so much effort to talk to me. And you know, this is a few after a few arranged dates, but you've had a long day at work, so I thank you very much for uh, taking part in the pod.
4: No, it's honestly, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Obviously, when you uh, contacted me to have a chat with you regarding, you know, obviously my time at Swindon and my previous clubs of obviously more than happy to do that because obviously a few things that happened at Swindon that weren't so true etc so it might be my time to have a little bit of a say about things so yeah no, looking forward to it
0: Fingers crossed okay so I like to go in chronological order so we start right at the beginning before all the football league appearances and things like that so we go back to your early days simple first question who was your favourite team when you were a child and who were your childhood heroes
4: well, um obviously being from Manchester, I was quickly brought up as a, a Manchester United fan, being a red, all the family seemed to be massive supporters of the club as a as a young boy. I couldn't help but be part of that. So early memories were obviously going to Old Trafford and, and sneaking into the ground and being able to watch the game. It was really funny how it happened still have the memories. Um I used to go to a pub uh with a few of my friends and at the pub, it was—I don't know how they did it—but they used to have the stubs or the the, the ends end of the ticket, which they had from the previous games. Um, I don't know how they got them, in some sneaky way. But they used to give them the kids in the pub, and we used to pretend we tore them off at the turnstile and give them to the person in the kiosk, and we used to go through. So that was a, it was almost a bit of a daring thing to do, but it was a really exciting thing to do as a child going to them games, being able to get in to watch. Manchester United and literally from that moment understanding what the club was at that point wasn't too clear to me but I just loved playing football from that point so early memories were playing football on the street with my friends thinking it was Brian Robson uh, Ryan Giggs these types of players Brian McClare scoring goals um, so they were my early memories of, of, of football and me growing up and, and literally falling in love with the game um, yeah most definitely it was it was a uh, a vivid memory, actually, going going to Old Trafford and being a bit of a naughty boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course, back then as well, Manchester United aren't what they became in the nineties, are they? They were they were sort of an underachieving, sleeping giant of a, of a side just before Ferguson really got them going in in the in the early nineties.
4: Yeah, I would um, I would agree with that. And again, that coincides with, uh, with me as a child growing up and being part of obviously the new wave of Sir Alex Ferguson taking over from the football club and it was all about Manchester United and you couldn't help but be part of that. And Obviously the change when, when the boss turned up and, and he changed the fortunes of the club and it was almost a, the the place to go to. So, yeah, I think I was eight or nine and started going into Manchester United. And it, it obviously it was the time when Sir Alex Ferguson took over. Obviously it was a young boy who would never have known me but even going back as far as that point, it was a really clear memory for me of, of falling in love with football, but then also falling in love with Manchester United as, as a football club.
0: So you mentioned Giggs, you mentioned Robson there, you, you mentioned Brian McClare, but when did you start to think that you were more Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister than those guys? <laughs>
4: uh, no, never. I'm not one of them guys. I never was. I was always around gigs. <laughs> no, uh, joking. Um, I think probably as I got a little bit older, Start the the coaches start recognizing what kind of player you are, what position you might to might look at as you're older, and I reckon between the ages of maybe fourteen, fifteen, things started to change for me in terms of position wise. But up up to that point, it was all about play, all about playing football in, in a variety of football positions and uh, football clubs, and it was it was just an amazing time for me as a, as a child playing so much sport, uh, especially football, and, and we were an array of football teams which which helped my development as a young boy. Obviously, as you get older, um, you kind of find your position as a young pro or as a, as a YTS scholar growing up. But all my childhood memories, I played everywhere. I would have played at the back, midfield, as a striker, in goal. Just to play football was just a joy. So I reckon all that, when it's settled down and you kind of find where you need to play, it becomes when you're a little bit older. I'd say 19, 20, even a bit later.
0: You coach at Manchester United... Now and you you coach quite a young level. Do you allow footballers at Manchester United to to play in multiple positions, or are they zoned in quite quite early in one position? You go from there, or do they, do you utilise where they play?
4: Yeah, look, nobody's got a crystal ball, and you never know where these kids going to find find themselves. But no, we we would never pigeonhole a, a young boy playing in a, in a certain position because. Like I said, football is about development and, and enhancing skills, and you never know where they're going to end up. So it's all about, you know, having the bigger picture um, as a young boy and recognizing. Actually, you never know where, as a position you're going to end up, but it's maximizing the skills that you have, the abilities that you have, and trying to fulfill your potential and your dream to become a football player. And I think when you're coaching these young boys as, as young as they are, even like with me, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, you don't know really where they're going to end up. So you would hate to try and put them as a fullback or as a centre back. but actually, in the end, they could end up playing midfield. So, no, we we try to create an environment where the lads are able to learn, um, experiment with different positions. And I guess in the later part of their the younger development, we try to give them ideas of what the positions might look like. But again, you know, if you're six foot five, you're built re- really big. You're probably not going to be, I don't know, a right winger. You might be a centre back. So there's obvious clear indications what what you would look to profile as a player, but. No, in general, the majority of the time, it's all about developing uh, developing the skills, the techniques, um, for them boys to, to hopefully have a career in the game.
0: Hmm. I don't have the stats on me, but I dare say a large percentage of kids in Manchester want to play professional football for either United and, you know, I guess a bit more now Man City as well. And you started out at Manchester United, didn't you?
4: Yes, I did. Um, again. Been fortunate to be involved in football and playing lots of football for school and for my local team, my town team. Uh, Manchester United were the first callers for me. It was um, Brian Kidd, who was, who now works at Manchester City. He was always the youth scout who worked for Manchester United in the I guess in the youth development phase, and he was the guy who spotted me as a as a young boy, nine and ten, and he invited me into the Cliff, which is a very iconic training ground mm. at the club. Still, it's still there, um, and my memories were going into. Manchester United at the cliff and and literally falling in love with the place itself and then actually at the time there was people like David Beckham Ryan Giggs um, Gary Neville Philip Neville all these boys who were a little bit older and used to come into the training so that was even a bigger pull actually this is the place you want to be big Man United fan I'm training there all of a sudden there's there's some guys who are are playing youth team football or even like Ryan Giggs who's near the first team he's in actually the same gym as me so that was always a huge um, thing for me actually being so close to these players and just almost you know, admire them like superstars but then in touching distance so it was an amazing thing for me to be involved in it as a young lad growing up being a part of a club what i loved and very fortunate to be around it mm. who was in your age group um who made it now there was um, i guess there's a guy called Ronnie Warwork yeah he oh, had yeah, a, yeah brom, ronnie yeah. did well he went to west brom but he won the premier league with man united yeah was really proud of Ronnie. Ronnie managed to uh, stick it out and he had a decent career afterwards. And then another one was a guy called Jonathan Macken.
0: Yep.
4: Jonathan <laughs> Macken ended up going to, yeah, he went to Preston and then went to Man City for five million quid. And he, he had a really good career. He was really proud of Jonathan as well. So the three of us were kind of from North Manchester, um, not really affluent in terms of money and stuff like that, really kind of working class people, as our parents i really pleased for the three of us actually to, to try and get well break through when we actually did and all three of us managed to have a decent career.
0: What is that like? You know, that's that's a really good point about sort of the class side of things when you are from if you are from working class and suddenly you're at the head table at a place like Manchester United, even when you when you're a kid, because of the way we're brought up, you kind of feel that, don't you?
4: Yeah, most definitely. But again, it's very much um, endearing to people around around you. I also do believe that you know it's not because of somebody's work from a working class environment. They actually show amazing qualities. You know, the very humble people, the people who are desperate to do well and they're hungry to, to succeed. And I guess you know the three of us, me, Jonathan, and Ronnie, maybe you know demonstrate them them qualities as we you know, kind of made careers for ourselves and and got through certain difficult moments because actually growing up in difficult areas enabled us to have them coping mechanisms. So it's a huge skill. People don't really see it. And it's difficult, actually, like you say, when you're actually from, you know, areas or environments which are so classy and so big and beautiful and great. It's it's, it's a difficult one to, to deal with, I guess. But it's you as a person. I think it's how you deal with things. It's how quickly you can adapt to, to so accept it and move forward. And I think, like I say, it's not easy. Um, and it's not. I'm not just saying anyone from a working class environment can do that. But you know, there's some there's some steel in there which drives you even more. I I believe And like I, say, I see I see kids who are, are driven. No problem. They turn up in Porsches. Don't get me wrong. To the training ground. But um, I can only speak for myself and and a couple of friends I had who actually got through. You know, for for us, we we really wanted it. We were. There was nothing else in our lives that we wanted it was always wanting to be footballers for Man United obviously we, we started there but it's you know football you end up moving on if you're lucky enough that you stay within the game and that was always I'm, I'm pretty sure I could speak for the other two was always a, an ambition just to stay as, in the game as long as you could
0: I'm pretty sure John Mackin was on the bench for Man City the day that David James went up front
4: uh, ahead of yeah. him I know the story about that one I don't think Jonathan was happy with that no. I've actually heard a couple of people I think I don't know if well, I won't name names but uh, I believe uh, Stuart Pierce made that move Jonathan was on the bench and they put David James on the pitch um, and I know from what I believe it's obviously it was a, a really big decision that, that was that was made obviously Jonathan was brought for 5 million quid and goal scorer for City and, and they bring a goalkeeper in front of him so <laughs> You can just imagine what happened afterwards in the change room. I don't think it was too great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: I'm walking, I'm walking.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So we get to the mid-90s and you move to Bolton. So how did that come about?
4: Yeah, again, um, I just didn't get to the levels of Manchester United. Um, what I believe was one of the best clubs in the world and still is. Um, unfortunately, at the time, the, the the people around me didn't think, didn't think I was good enough. It was very difficult to take. Obviously, being there for six years, it was almost a, a real big car crash. It was something that was wow, what? How am I going to recover from this? But it was very fortunate. I had my mum, my dad, my family around me, my friends. It was like, come on, as you know, it's difficult to take, but you've got to keep going if you want it. And actually, went for a couple of trials. And, you know, I tell my close friends this, and people who know me know these stories. But I went to Liverpool for a little while. It was great, but nothing really happened there. Um, I went to Rotherham. I'm not sure why I went there, but I ended up going to Rotherham and going across to Sheffield Way on trial when I left. This is when I left United. And then I went to Stoke City um, and then I went there for two or three days. And Lou Macari was the manager at the time and I was only 15. It was like a late birthday July boy, young, everything was very much, very well late developed in every every sense. And, you know, he ran me, they, they kind of just ran me around this reservoir for three days. You know, I didn't even play any football. And then they told me, I wasn't for them so that was um, another nailing the coffin you're like whoa I was dead dead lucky it was, we, we got a phone call from a guy called Dean Crombie um, from Bolton Wanderers at the time he was the youth team coach he rang my mum and said look we'd love him to play in the game V Burnley um, what do you think and it was like we're going to do it again I'm going to get another rejection but do you know what it was like yeah I have a good feeling about this at the time Bolton was on the, on the TV in the FA Cup John McGinley and, you know, and Coyle and Andy Walker who were scoring goals it was really iconic at the time they were beating teams like Arsenal um, on the TV so I thought yeah I'm going to do it and anyway long story short I played a game after the game the Dean spoke to me and me, my mum and my dad and he said we would like to offer me a YTS and it was like a real shock it was like no we are expecting a no again and it, he believed in me he believed in my talent my abilities me as a person and really after that point um, I was a little boy I'm honest with you, I'm still not grown. And through that summer, um, I'd signed and all of a sudden I shot up to six foot. I filled out a little bit, I got a bit of confidence, and everything just really snowballed into a load of success very quickly. I mean I've been joined Bolton for Man United. So literally going from the bottom of the floor, feeling terrible for a, a long period of time to getting this yes, and then all of a sudden getting loads of snowballs of yeah, you're great. You're doing well. You're playing in this team. You're going to play for the reserves. This was all happened so quick, um, and before I knew it, I was sixteen. I was playing. Probably going to be asked for this question, but I was training with the first team at sixteen as a young sixteen-year-old. For that was me. I was literally through the door. I played a few games for the youth team. I bypassed a load of load of football for them and ended up playing with the first team and training all the time and playing for the reserves. It was it was so fast the way it happened. Um, yeah, it was an amazing kind of transition actually. So I never forget it. It was a very difficult time, but that difficult time gave me a lot of strength actually, um, a lot of resilience, a lot of grit to move forward.
0: Lots to unpick from that, but the two that really stand out: your um, experience with Lou Macari. Well, you've just described Swindon in the 80s when he was manager, from what I've from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of running, a lot of running, and a lot of running, and. Well, yeah. I don't know if you know, but we don't really like, Swindon fans don't really like that mid-90s uh, Bolton side because of their League Cup. Uh, they beat Swindon in the semi-final of the League Cup in 95. So, you know, which is around about the same time here, isn't it? This is this is that side.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, all that hard work pays off because you do get an England cap, don't you?
4: Well, that was it. So, like I say, this transformation from all this negativity and, Potentially leaving football and not getting enough, you know, a job in the game to starting in July with the youth team uh, for pre season, quickly, like I said, transitioning to the first team's training group at Bolton to then playing for England's under 18 as a young 16 year old um, against Denmark, um, which was unbelievable. So, this rise happened so quickly. From being told I wasn't good enough to then being told, you know, you, no again, no again, no again, and then getting this one opportunity from Dean Crombie to excelling really, taking everything, all, you know, kind of in the front foot, getting all the opportunities and taking them to then, yeah, playing for the reserves consistently as a young 16 year old um, and then playing for my country. And funny enough, before that game I played for England, there was a, a series of games against like the, I guess, the bigger clubs in the country. And I ended up coming back to Manchester United um, to see all my friends that were, were signed and the new players that they'd signed in front of me, and etc. None of them were playing in this game, this under-18 game. So England under-18s played, Manchester United under-18s at the cliff and we ended up beating them 6-0. And I was in the team against these lads who, who I was told I wasn't good enough to be with. It was really weird. It was It was almost like, wow, I'm back here. I've literally proved everybody wrong. By being able to actually play for my in international team, my national team, sorry, against Manchester United at the Cliff in front of everybody. Only you're talking three months later. It wasn't He wasn't even like I was a under 18 player. I wasn't even an under 17 player. I was just 16. Just so it was crazy. Honestly, it was a it was a crazy time. But it just filled me with belief and confidence and know that. Actually, you can. You keep working hard. Keep believing in yourself. Anything can happen, and that obviously did. Mm. Yeah.
0: Who who else was in that England
4: side? Oh, there there was a lot of players. Phil Neville was in there. There was Lee Hendry, big Kevin Davis, who had a wonderful career. Yeah. Uh, and Danny Mills, he played. Who else? There was, I can't remember now. But yeah, the team was littered with, with players who actually became football players. Mm. Um, in in the game v Denmark, and I was this young little sixteen year old. Um, you know, with all these these players who I think some had played first team football already, and you know, it was, like I say, I can't really explain how how it all kind of turned round for me.
1: You
4: know, being a short space of time. Um, so yeah, and I got a, to be fair, it could have continued, that, but I got a terrible injury not so long after that yeah. game beat Denmark. I would definitely had more caps for England. Unfortunately, it didn't happen because of because of injuries. Am I
0: right? Because. Looking for information about England's school um, youth lineups from before about ninety seven is quite tough. I think I found the result, and it's it's a crazy one.
4: <laughs> Six five or something. Yeah, like that. absolutely
0: yeah. crazy. I mean, I know it went to Denmark, but hey, whoever went to that game in Walsall that day, they yeah. got a cracker, didn't it they? It was
4: an unbelievable game. <laughs> it was an unbelievable. Yeah, so like again, it was it wasn't a normal game of football. It was. <laughs> Denmark v England at Walsall. It was like a cricket score. It was crazy. It was goals going in left, right, and centre. Yeah, I mean, I think Emil Heskey played in that game as well. So, yeah, unbelievable. You know, the, the way things kind of panned out very quickly. Going to be like a, a, an apprentice from obviously having all that terrible feeling and I'm feeling like there's no point going forward in football because of you know lo- losing that love of Man United and, and that was all my life. You know. It was always kind of an ambition to to play football, I guess, for Manchester United. But, you know, when it's taken from you, it's like, how do you react? How do you react and see players or kids or people who can't take disappointment and just go. But I was very lucky, like I said, I had a very strong family around me, my mum and my dad, my family, my brothers, sisters, my friends were all there for me. So, so I'm dead fortunate to get through that, that sticky time.
0: We'll close the England cap by me asking the standard question I ask any of the internationals that I speak to, and that's, where is the cap now?
4: The cap is at my mum's house, <laughs> along with the shirt, along with the sign things. I got a load of wonderful memorabilia from the game, yeah. So, yeah, it's in a, it's in a cupboard locked away.
0: <laughs> Which is the standard response, but my yeah. the thing I say is, at least once a week I'd wear it. I just wear it around the house and just you know live off it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Unfortunately, no, it's, it's tucked away somewhere. It's it's one for the kids when they get a little bit older to to go in through into have a look at. Mm.
0: So, what was the injury that you experienced shortly after the Denmark game?
4: Oh, there was a series of growth growth related injuries, yeah. and at okay. the time there wasn't too much knowledge about it. But my knees were were really bad, especially my right knee. I uh, had consist consistent issues with. You know, kind of growing so quickly and having all that football, hmm. um, it kind of like my body just kind of broke down for a little while. Yeah. Um, along with little kicks, little niggles here and there, it kind of just stopped me playing, you know, the, especially to the levels that, you know, I was playing at.
0: well, it, it it doesn't really hold you back too much because you make your debut for Bolton during the tail end of the 97-98 season. Yeah. It's a relegation season for Bolton, but it's irrelevant to you because you get minutes in the Premier League and I think your debut is against Blackburn. And I mean, this is, you know, a teenager going up against Kevin Gallagher and Chris Sutton and even Martin yeah. Darling, for those who remember Euro 92, come on during yeah. that. What do you remember from that experience?
4: Yeah, again, unbelievable. I should have probably, well, I know for a fact I would have made my debut a lot sooner, like I say, if I wouldn't have got them injuries after that um, kind of England scenario, then games around that point, I would have played a lot earlier. Mm. But I had to buy my time, got myself fit. It was The club were, were excelling, they were getting bigger and stronger. They were signing players. It was very hard for me to compete. Um, I was almost like what, the fourth left-back at the time. There was excellent players like uh, Jimmy Phillips, Brian Smalls from Aston Villa. Mike Whitlow, um, and then it was me trying to compete for a position. So, you know, it was very, very hard for me to break through in the end, and I was dead, dead lucky to to get the opportunity. So, I think at the time, if I remember rightly, we, we was having a bit of a training camp um, at Mottram Hall, um, and the manager the night before, well, the day before the game, said, "Look, as you're going to play in the derby tomorrow," and it literally, like, I was like, "What?" Because what had happened a few weeks before, he started putting me on the bench. The first time I was on the bench with Liverpool, and then I forget the other game, it might have been Aston Villa away. But he'd come up to me on the Friday and said, look, I think it's your time. And I was like, oh, right, really? He said, yeah. So as you can imagine, the nerves started happening, the butterflies, the whole lot. I'm on the phone to my girlfriend, my mum, my dad. So I goes home, and that was it. I'm preparing on the Friday. For the game on the on the Saturday against against Blackburn in in the obviously the Lancashire derby, Mm. obviously never slept a wink that night before, (laughs) Um, and then running running out in the full house, twenty five thousand people there at at the Reebok uh, playing against Blackburn Rovers, an unbelievable occasion for me. It was it was a a memory I'll never ever forget. Everybody was there that uh, were really important to me, so. Obviously played a game, we won the game 2-1, I got man of the match, which was another one. I met John Motson, <laughs> I was a match of the day and all of a sudden this amazing other experience happened to me again, it was it was just so good for me because it took a long time in the end to get into that first team and I, and I finally did. So all all that was happening and I'll never forget, we ended up going for a bit of food and then we all sat down watching match of the day that night on <laughs> the teller. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and of course, your your first manager in the first team was a future Swindon manager as well, Colin Todd. Obviously, was yep. Phil
4: Brown there at that point as well? Bill Phil was there. Phil came a little bit after, a, bit a little yeah, bit Bill, after. Bill, Bill, so, yeah, so
0: I mean, it, it, I mean, I know the I know the answer because the managers that give you guys their first ever games are always sort of thought quite fondly of, aren't they?
4: Yeah, hundred percent. Colin Todd was a. A wonderful man, a wonderful kind of football person. He, when I first joined Bolton, he was the assistant manager to Bruce Rioch, who then went on going to Arsenal. For my first season, um, which I really I was gutted about because actually Bruce, I know Bruce really liked me. And I, when Arsenal came back to the uh, to Burnham Park before we moved to the Reebok, we I met him at the at the kind of the stairs. I said, "Why are you not signing me for Arsenal?" <laughs> he went. I tell you why, because we've got a kid called Ashley Cole and he's better than you. And I was like, what? Who's that? And that, that was the kind of bit of banter that I always remember. Ashley Cole kind of broke through quite after, quite soon after it. But going back to Colin Todd, Colin, Colin knew I was a football player. I loved playing football. That was my probably my strengths more than anything else. And I know Colin valued me as a, as a, as a player. It was good to me. So, so it was Colin Todd and uh, Roy McFarland at the time. Who were joint managers. Roy was uh, an ex England international with, with Colin, and they were very good friends. So they were joint managers, but it was more Colin, really, that I obviously had my time with and who I thought very fondly of. So when I made my debut, you know, I have a lot to, you know, be thankful for to, to Colin Todd because, like they I say, he gave me the opportunity to play. Mm. Uh, but, you know, soon after I played, you know, I think it was two days later. I'm, I'm high as a kite buzzing with this winning a game and playing in the Premier League we're playing Derby County two days later and this, this is where you go again we're 4-0 down at Derby County after 25 minutes or so uh, Paolo chop's playing in the game Got to remember him and he's smacking people in the back of the heads and he's tapping people and and, he's, and he was so I'm just like what the hell this is almost like the, the most amazing thing happened to me two days ago and now I'm, like, what? I'm involved in. we're 4-0 down it's 25 minutes what's going to happen I ended up playing the whole game, but I took a serious injury in that game as well. So that was the end of my campaign. So it went from a real high to a low in the game. So that was me. I didn't get fit for the rest of the season because I took a real bad injury in that game. Ended up playing through it.
0: Mm, it seems to be a consistent throughout your career, doesn't it? That, that in that respect, but yeah. we'll get to that in due course. I mean, what what I remember because I'm I'm born in the early '80s, so I remember this Bolton side really well because it was that sort of transitional period in football where you had your old schoolers and these exciting new players, wasn't it? So you had at Bolton, you would have people like Dean Holdsworth, John Sheridan, uh, Chris yeah. Fairclough, and then you would have you. I mean, for Bolton, you had all those Scandinavian. As well, didn't you? Yeah. Ida Johnson. I don't know if that's Iceland is technically Scandinavia. That's, don't yeah. don't <laughs> message me on that one. But Bo Hansen, yeah. um, just it was it was a very, very good side, and you know they were going into that way before Sam Allardyce turned up and um, you know, made Bolton the the way they were in up into the two thousands. But I mean, what was it like training from like those young players alongside yourself like Ida Good Johnson and then you had like veterans like Peter Beardsley at the club at the same time as well
4: well that was it all of a sudden the club when I was at Bolton it was just transforming you know kind of yearly it was it was just getting bigger and bigger you could see where it was going to the investment was there we went from Burden Park to the Reebok and you could see you know the transition was was well in advance well it was well due but the you could see the club were going forward they were doing all these right things and before you know it, you've got all these superstars coming to the club, like you say, Pete, I'm there training with Peter Bersley, there's um, even Peter Shilton before Peter Bersley, yeah. Peter Shilton in the club, and you're going, <laughs> wow, what's going on here? So then, I, I was dead fortunate actually, I had a good Johnson signed at a really good time for me, we ended up becoming excellent friends, we were more or less the same age, similar age anyway, and he'd left um, his club in Holland where he'd had a terrible injury and he came in to Bolton, and he'll, he'll say it, he was massively overweight, but his ability was there to be seen. He was amazing. So we kind of looked after each other, if I'm honest with you, because we were the two lads, uh, young boys, training with the first team all the time and being around it. And you know, you could always see Ida was destined. He just needed to lose a bit of weight, and get himself consistently fit, and and before you know it, he makes his debut and he never looks back. So I was lucky. We were, we were close, me and Ida. Um, and funny enough, we used to make fun of each other when we used to go to like we'd play for the reserves. Or even the first team would be on the bench or something. We'd we'd look out for our name because every every person who was on the tannoy would give out get our names wrong, completely wrong. <laughs> so it was always like a running joke with the pair of us. Like, Go on, what what are you going to be called either today? So yeah, no, we 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 met up a few times ever since. Actually, we've seen each other uh, most recently at Michael Carrick's testimonial. Mm. Yeah, Tim, testimonial. We shared a few memories there. So yeah, that was amazing. Honestly, like you said, he was John Sheridan. he was the Scandinavians. Um, Herf Franson, Michael Johansson, they were top, top players. And you could just see the club were invested in the right type of people, the right type of players, and they were exciting. Um, and they were strong players. Um, Klaus Klaus Jensen, that was another one. He was a young yeah. young lad like me. He was out, outstanding. He went on to Charlton, I believe, and, and did really well there. So, yeah, some amazing players that came through that, that building that I was in.
0: Well, over your two next seasons with Bolton, you, you don't play as much as you would like, and I'm sure you'll explain that in a moment, but what I do in my research is I go through all the lineups and my goodness you played against some absolute 90s powerhouses of a <laughs> of um of premier league and uh, championship football I mean you even played against Karl-Heinz Riedler I, mean, yeah. I mean the game against Fulham you yeah, had Paul Pesce Salido, Jeff Horsfield and uh, Jeff Horsfield sorry and Karl-Heinz Riedler yeah. in the same game and Barry Hales. that would have been yeah. that would have been one for the cardio wouldn't it um unbelievable <laughs> you, unbelievable
4: yeah tr- but yeah no you, honestly going back to it I'm, I'm you know, it's almost like a distant memory now, but when you, I'm even talking to you now, it's almost amazing fond memories that they come flooding back to you because, you know, as you know, life's so busy, you move on from place to place, you're doing this and that, and then before you know it, you're totally forgetting things, and it's almost like a thing of the past, but yeah, that was something I always thought, I'm so lucky to be around this. Mm. You know, these are amazing football players who played at the highest of levels, so even going back to my debut, like you said, there was, I met the uh, the Greek international. I think his name was George Osdonis or something. That's right, yeah. And uh, he was this flying right winger, yeah. and I was up against him. And I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> hey, what's going on here?" You know. But yeah, it was a, an amazing day for me for that for that reason. Coming up against all these superstars, you're watching week in, week out in the Premier League, and all of a sudden you're up against it. So yeah, sorry for rambling on, but that my time at Bolton um, was just littered with obviously players within the club that I just, you know, learned so much of. But then also when you're involved in match days and even if you don't play and, you, and you're watching from the side and you're close to that action, these are high, high level players that I was involved in. So, yeah, great times.
0: This podcast endorses rambling. Don't you worry about that from <laughs> one rambler to another. Um, did you ever, it, this is relevant to your whole career, did you ever go into a game thinking, ah? Oh, bloody hell, I'm marking this guy. And then when you played the game, you are like, oh, they're not too bad,
4: this is pretty easy. Mm, I would <laughs> say, as a young lad for Bolton, no, I actually enjoyed going to every game because I felt I felt like it was a young lad within a load of elder players and I was looked after. So even like you say, you, you mentioned the team that I've come up against in my final year with at Bolton. I played, I think it was like 15 games for Big Sam, Sam Allardyce took over, and he played me central midfield, and I ended up playing some good games for him. And some of the teams I played played against were really strong, so that that was really good. But you know, it's like it's like anything when you when you're playing at, at that moment, you get on with it as a young lad. It's almost no fear. But I would say my next move, if you if I, we get onto the next club, I go to that's that's when I, I was really part of that group of players, and there was a massive responsibility on me um, to win games. It was it was a real Wow, I, I need to grow up quickly. So you know, to get on to the next part, I reckon as a young boy at Bolton, it was almost a, a fairy tale for me.
1: Mm. It
4: was a wonderful time for me to to play football, love it, not be so far away from home, and and be fortunate to be around some amazing people.
0: Yeah, I mean, three years with a club that was in the Premier League to start with, and then you had two promotion well you know attempt real big pushes on promotion both playoff yeah. finishes that were unsuccessful and then yeah. to the modern eye you see your next destination as Dundee United and the immediate mm. th- feeling is well, what's he doing that for but this was a real boom time for Scottish football wasn't it
4: it was obviously Rangers and Celtic was were the, were the biggest draw for me mm. um, going up to Scotland wasn't so aware of the culture and the history up there from, if it was brutally honest but I soon found out about it when I was up there. But, you know, funny enough, I spoke to Swindon Town with Colin Todd when he took over as manager. He wanted me to sign for Swindon Town at that moment. Uh, I think it was 2000. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I spoke to Portsmouth um, at the time as well, but that never came about. But it, just, it was just something that it was a real gamble for me. Obviously, I know Colin Todd. And I know, well, at the time, I, I knew he was going to take care of me. Um, it was nothing to do with money. It was nothing to do with... Anything like that it was more to do with me actually taking a big gamble for my career because, you know, it, it was no disrespect to Swindon. I didn't even know how good Dundee United was or what it was like up there. It was just like, look, if you want to have a career in the game, you need to go and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was advising. Unfortunately, and, and I think it paid off because I ended up going up there to Scotland and I literally had to go, go grow up to be a, a man because... It was playing week in, week out against strong, strong teams who were so fit, so strong, so so structured and organised. I was, I was just blown away with, with it all up there. If I'm, if I'm honest with you, so yeah, it was a boom time with with Celtic and Rangers. Um, they had some amazing players in their teams at the time. and, and, and I remember my, one of the amazing things happened to me was match um, Andre Kinchelskis in a game, and he was my hero at Man United. I ended up marking him in a game at Ibrox. And it was like, this is so surreal. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was the move. That was the move I needed. Um, and I can talk about a few of the moments I had up there, which, again, were so, so special to me. They were so difficult moments, but they were so special playing against the best players, I believe, some of the best players going at that time. I was playing for Dundee United, and I played in a back three. Um, against the front three of Celtic, which was <laughs> Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton and John Hartson. So it was them three against three, the three we had. And you can imagine, <laughs> I think it was 5-0 five, down at mm-hmm. half-time. Um, so, yeah, they were they were so special. It was difficult, but I grew up to be a man there. I grew up to really know what the game meant. Um, I, I was responsible for myself and my teammates, Um i loving Dundee United for for the club it was the the history the passion that the the supporters had up there um the I guess the healthy feeling of you know the competitiveness up there the it was almost so humbling you know it was that very raw very very basic but very it was it, it had a lot of success from from just working hard you know it was it was different from what was what I was used to at Bolton
0: yeah, and, you, and the the man that brought you to Dundee United is the ultimate Dundee United flag waver, um, Mr. Paul Sturrock, who was there for approximately five minutes before <laughs> before he left. But that was the start of that relationship.
4: Yeah, um, obviously went up to Dundee United and I spoke to him, tried to find out a bit bit more about him, a bit about the club. And he sold it to me straight away. He said, look, this is one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. You're going to play in the Scottish Premier League. You know, we, we like you. We think you're a good footballer. You need, we, we want you to grow up here. We want you to become a, a, a strong footballer where you do well here. You'll be sold back down south to a bigger club. And he kind of like, he got me straight away. It was, it was all about hard work. It was about, you know, commitment. It was about, you know, giving everything you've got to be the best you can be. as Not just as a footballer, but as a person. Yeah, and very unfortunately we we had that small time for to get to know each other and, and he resigns. I think it was his second game for me against Hibs mm. away at Hibernian, And that's it, he came in, I never forget, it. it came in after the game and just said, Look, I can't do this anymore. I love the club too much, I need to I need to leave now. And I was just sat there and going, I've just signed here for you. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's it, isn't it? We don't think about that. That the amount of footballers that have you know rolled the dice to move hundreds of miles or what have you to play for a certain person who plays a certain type of football, and then mm. two games in, you're like, okay, well, who's this guy coming in? I sure hope one he likes me, and two he plays the sort of football that I came up here to get cold in Dundee. <laughs>
4: yeah, I know that is. Uh... That's the insecurities of football that people don't really see. You you make massive commitments and don't get me wrong, I know football is a very fortunate but you do upheave, you go to a different part of the country or the world and you know, you try and bed down and do everything you can, you believe in, in what's there and all of a sudden that main person he goes and the insecurities are, are there because you don't know who the next person comes in. Does he like you? Does he not like you? You know, are you going again? What happens? so it's massive really and again at that moment in time you know I'm thinking what the hell have I done mm. um, but again saying that that's part of football and that was a part of the thing that I actually fell in love with football again it was it was the not knowing it wasn't the, the routine it wasn't like I know what I'm doing week in week out year in year out. it was always fighting for for my next game fighting for my next contract doing the best I could for, for myself and my missus and and you know, for my family, it was always that. That was always my intention of just keep doing well. Play play your best, work your hardest, um, and hopefully somebody sees good in you. Mm. That was always my motto, really. So, yeah, the new guy came in, I was lucky enough that he liked me.
0: That's good. <laughs>
4: yeah, I know, I know, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, Swindon, Links. I'm always trying to look for them. I found a couple. Of course, he was your teammate at Swindon, Craig Easton.
4: Yeah, Easter, wonderful, wonderful, hard-working young man. Um always found Craig uh, Easter to be um, a great person, um, a, a man who would do anything for you. Um, lovely, lovely missus in Laura. I think I've not spoken to him for a long time, but I probably bet that we're very much still together with the family. It's, he was a great person uh, to have around because he was just an honest man, a typical Scotsman who, who just demanded the best and worked really, really hard. He was one of the in fact, he used to do me heading, he used to be the fittest man ever. <laughs> literally ever. He could run as far as he wanted to at any point in time, never be out of breath i be like, what oh, the hell Easty. Give me one of your lungs, please. <laughs> so yeah, Eastie was a good guy. The
0: the other player didn't play for Swindon. He certainly joined Swindon for loan just before you you joined, and that was David Partridge, who yeah. is quite quite the personality. <laughs>
4: Well, another person, really, uh, I kind of lost contact with when he left Dundee United. I know he went to Bristol Rovers, I believe, City, or City, City. I think it was yeah. Bristol City. Yeah, he was a a character. Me coming up from Bolton, being involved in all this, this wonderful environment, and then I quickly find out this is part of he's your teammate, and he really was this this lad from Essex um, with his misses and. He just lived. He lived by his. He was just him. He was him. He, whatever he you could say about Parto. I, I really got on with David because he was just that was what you saw was what you got with him. He was just a guy from Essex. He loved. He loved his life. He, he was almost like he's coming up here to play football, but he's got this devilment inside him. He's he's one of the boys. It was it he was. It's totally like you saw. You're talking about Easter. He's talking cheese to Easter. So yeah, great guy. I I really got on with Parto a lot. Obviously, been in a few um, kind of tight situations with him, but I'd, uh, probably won't say anything on here where you know where we got ourselves into. But he was a wonderful guy.
0: Yeah. Before we go back to England, let's just just wrap up on Scotland with just some of your your personal highlights playing up there.
4: Personal highlights always playing in the uh, the Dundee derby, uh, playing against Dundee was always a special occasion. It was it was a big big um, thing in in the city of Dundee playing in that game, you couldn't go out, you know, days before or days after with the fear of bumping into a Dundee fan. So that was great. Um, at the time they'd signed Claudio Canija, if you remember Canija yes. who was in the World Cup of Argentina. Yeah. Um, and they it was the Benetti's who owned Dundee at the time. And they were they were spending money on these these kind of the foreign players. They brought in some amazing footballers from the from South America. Um a kid called Caballero. There was a few but one striking moment was when um, Koneja bowls into one of these restaurants in Dundee and he brings Maradona in there. So <laughs> you've got Maradona in Dundee with Koneja. It was almost kind of, what the hell's going on here? Um, so that was really amazing for me because you watch these guys on TV. They're like, like iconic figures in the game. Um, obviously playing in the the Rangers and Celtic games at Ibrox at Parkhead, I loved them. I love going to them grounds. I just love being in that occasion, playing playing in front of sixty thousand fans at at Parkhead v Celtic. Being involved in that's just amazing. And then Ibrox, 40,000 40, people there, mm-hmm. just big occasions. You always you always stick in your mind that the you know whenever I talk about Scotland, whenever my friends wanted to come up, they didn't want to come up for a, a Dundee United v Dunfermline game. It was. When you're playing Rangers, when you're playing Celtic, when when's you know what I mean? So they were really, really big games. Um so yeah, that they were big, big things for me. And like I say, the, the two and a half years I was there, I really grew up. And it, it, I always I always talked to people about Scotland to be you know, I, I kinda of turned into a man. I literally knew I knew what it was I needed to do to to stay in the game of football to to be a good person.
0: When you played against Kilmarnock, were you on Ali McCoy's duties?
4: Do you know what? McCoist—he he probably won't remember me now—but because of a guy called Charlie Miller, Charlie yeah. Miller used to play for Rangers with Ali McCoist, yeah. so I ended up getting to know Ali McCoist quite a bit. You know, being in his company a few times with, with Charlie Miller, and it was interesting. I think McCoist was coming to the end of his career, and he had a little bit of a bear belly on him. And if you don't mind me saying, he was—he was on the same pitch as McCoist. It's like mm, he can't move; he really can't move. And he's probably having a few pints before the game, a few pints after. So yeah, that was a. Yeah, Alan McCoy, there were so many good footballers there even for both Rangers and Celtic and teams not in them teams as well because, sorry, players not in them teams because it was all a load of players who had left Rangers and Celtic because a lot of foreign players came in and really good players from them two teams that you know, kind of ended up moving on to different teams in Scotland. So, yeah, the league was strong when I was there. It was really strong. So Swindon's hopes of maybe getting another might be quite high. This is Miglia Aranzi. In towards Fallon here, it's Fallon, it's 2-1, Swindon on fire. That's a great finish, great finish from Fallon,
3: pulling it onto his right foot and getting away, but it's made by that man, Miguel Ramsey. You're
0: listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. And then you do what a remarkable amount of footballers do when they're up in Scotland. I don't know why. I would love to see how many, but it seems to be every year someone makes this pilgrimage. Excuse the pun, no, Scotland right. to Plymouth Argyle.
4: <laughs> just the well, longest
0: journey ever.
4: I know. There you go, Paul Sturrock for you. Paul <laughs> Sturrock comes calling as as he walks. You know, he runs to him. So it was a really kind of. I don't know, a crazy few weeks for me because I was quickly told I'd probably have to move on to play football and I was like okay, that's fair I should be the manager was being honest to me and it was like what, where should I go and I was really close to me signing for Bradford City at the time Bradford at, at the time went through a real I, know, I think something happened with the TV money yeah. Every, all my deal was done it was all getting done and then someone the TV money at the time thing was pulled out of the league which you know, kind of subsequently, I was part of that You know, kind of, oh, no, the deal's not there for you now because we haven't got the money.
0: Yeah.
4: So that that kind of threw a spanner into the works, which then I kind of, was, you know, a week goes by thinking, well, what's going to happen? And then Paul comes, you know, he spoke to my agent at the time. He said, look, we'd love to bring Hasney down here. What do you think? Do you think he'd come all this way? And I think as soon as he said, I think I got on the phone to him and I said, look, you know, if I come all this way, what is it? Are you going to get off again or what? Are you, what's going to happen? He's like, no, 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 I love Plymouth. If you come down here, you'll fall in love with Plymouth. So, it was really funny. I got in the car with my with my missus at the time and we ended up driving 300 miles towards Manchester near home and then we, we said hi for five minutes and then done another 300 miles down to Plymouth. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was quite, quite funny really the way it happened but, yeah, I could not say no to Paul and it was the biggest, biggest move I did in terms of distance, but it was the best move I could have ever done at that time. It the ITV
0: digital collapse, which is what you were referring yes. to. I think yeah. I'm still surprised to this day that clubs didn't didn't go under due to that. It was it was huge. I mean, mismanagement of money and things like that. Side so it was still you know it was still a crazy time. Um, was there any part of you was just like? I've been playing in front of sixty thousand. I'm dropping down to the third tier of English football.
4: Mm.
0: Was that a frustration, or was it? I just want to play football. I want to make a it career. Was, yeah,
4: in the end, it wasn't about you know. I'd had my time in Scotland. It was. I was never going to get that back, you know, unless I moved to the Premier League. It was all about can I get on that football pitch because I've not played for a little while. I think they think the last game I actually played was against Celtic at Parkhead, and it was he just went a bit wrong. Um, so from there, it was like I just need to get back into England because they always say when you go to Scotland, it's quite—it's easy to get up there, but it's hard to get back. Mm. Um, so obviously, coming down to Plymouth wasn't—I wasn't thinking about crowds, I wasn't thinking about money, I wasn't thinking about anything apart from if Paul can get my career going again, if he can get me up and running, if he can get me to play football, I'm pretty sure you know good things will come from it, and that was always my intention. Was just to play football week in week out because that's what I love doing, and it works. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Plymouth gave me that, give me that environment to go and play, um, and it was the best thing I did because when I went down there, it was, it was tough to start with. Don't get me wrong, you like you say, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head there. Going from all that up in Scotland, which is it's quite intense and it's, it's you know it seems to be like really high level in terms of, you know, you know the exposure to TV and being on the back page of the Sun newspaper and whatever but going down to Plymouth it was it was very much humbling again it it kind of brought me back to right come just come play football get your head round it don't worry about where you know what league it's in it's go and play for Plymouth Argyle and see how you do and that that was that was it
0: We have five seasons at Plymouth, and we are neighbours for three of those because I was down in Plymouth at university at the same time. Um, right. It was a real boom time for Plymouth Argyle. You know, it was something that we lack in Swindon over the last ten years or so. Is if I go, I'm not from Swindon, so if I go to the town centre and have a look around before a match, no Swindon shirts. There's no right. there's no polo shirts. It's all other teams. But at that time. Argyle everywhere, wasn't it, because of that two thousand and
4: three, yeah. four season. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I came in, the club had just been promoted I think the year before. Yeah. And and I joined the club. You know, they were we run the kind of the right path. They just got into so they were in their old what old fourth division, so League was it League Two? And they got to League One and I obviously turned up in League One. You could you could sense you know there was momentum within the club in the in the town, and obviously in the city. It was like you know, I didn't. You know, I wasn't really aware of it before I joined. Like I said, it was just all about be playing football. But then you could, you could smell what was going on. You could see Paul had a good, good feeling around the place. Luggy, I call him Luggy or Paul. It's, he, he, kind of created this environment where, you know, Plymouth's going to do something here. We've got a five-year plan. You never, you know, never forget him saying it. You've got a five-year plan. And by the end of the five years, this this club will be up in in a really strong position. And so when I first joined uh, the club. Itself, you could see we're we trying to move move forward with everything they did financially. You know, making the club a little bit more appealing, and I think they, they were just taking the steps of doing all these things, all these changes within the city. And yeah, it was it was great because I think we consolidated our position. I think we finished mid-table or maybe even eighth, or just outside the playoffs. Yep. If I remember right there? I think I can't remember. We were Small just zone. outside eighth. Yeah. it was at eighth. Yeah, and you could see. Actually, we'll go have a good pre preseason. Get a couple more players. You know the club could really push here because he, Paul certainly had a, a good, good way of playing. It suited the style of the players and, and the league at the time. So yeah, it was it was interesting to see how it kind of kind of materialized because all Paul really wanted to do was play four four two and be the fittest team in the league, be the absolute fittest team ever. In fact. And he did. He had a bunch of players that really worked hard for him, worked hard for themselves, wanted everything they could get. Um, it was almost a siege mentality. People who come down to Plymouth or teams come down to Plymouth, well, they better be ready for it because we'll be right on front foot and we're going to run them into the ground. Um, and that's how we really approached it. And Aunt Paul had a really good identity to the, to the team because anyone who we played against, they knew they were in for a fight, they were oh. in for a, a battle, they had to be fit to play against us. I
0: remember that game where we played at the County Ground, where Swindon equalised late on two-two, yep. yep. and then you went up and got a winner. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sign of a, t- a championship team huh? <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, re- I remember. I remember it as well.
0: <laughs> I don't think you played in the other one where uh, Mickey Evans scored because he he took a free kick quickly, but because Rhys Evans. Um, got a hand to it it counted as an own goal if he would have just left it it was an indirect i remember that as well oh, No, scandal, right. scandal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i mean in th- in this case luggy sticks around for as yeah. long as as long as as he usually does for you because he leaves at the end he, he Denies himself the glory of that of that championship by leaving to go to was Southampton, wasn't it? And yep. and then you've got Bobby Williamson, who's another Scot who comes down, loads of experience. Um, but he's not even there that long either. Is it is it Williamson that t- sends you to Sheffield Wednesday with again Sturrock?
4: Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so yeah, you're right, Paul. Paul knew we got us over the line. He he was yeah. he knew that we would get a luggy he had that when we left. When he, he he asked us to promise him basically when he was going to Southampton. He yelled it off. He yelled it off. He was like, "Look, I've got to do it. If I don't do it, I'm going to get an opportunity opportunity in the Premier League." You know, and we're like, of "Course, we're going to do it for you. Get yourself off and come back here, and we'll all celebrate together." And that's exactly what we did. We got we got the championship, and he came back, and we we all did a, a really good thing together. So, yeah, he uh, Bobby Williamson came in and had a bit of a tough time. He didn't really get to grips with Plymouth, the town, the the club itself, the identity of what Paul created was real hard work. Bobby was a really, really lovely man. So different to Paul in terms of expectations of, of you as an individual. It was always he wanted the best for you. Be happy. Don't worry about anything. You know, we'll play our way. Enjoy playing football. You know, put the onus on you. You know, just enjoy yourself and I think people just took liberties. He signed some good players. He was, I think, you remember Tarebo West who played for Inter Milan. You know, yeah. not so long before. You know, there were some good players who came into the club, and they kind of failed him. And, and, and I felt for Bobby, to be fair, but that hard work, that, that, that DNA, what you what you could say from the club, it just went. It kind of just went because we were, we got promoted, and obviously the luggy left. Bobby took over. We we're in the championship, and. It was a shame, really. We just lost that kind of hard-working mentality, that spirit. And, and people came in, or players came in, and didn't have that drive, didn't have that personality, didn't have that hunger.
1: And
4: it's a shame, really, because it was all there to go again at that time. You know, And I feel for Bobby, and he, he probably went at, at a time which I think he was expecting to go.
0: Mm. And a lot of people forget that Tony Poulis was next, that, that forgotten spell, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, well, Tony saved us. If I'm being honest with you, like I say, Bobby was a wonderful man, but he had too many bad eggs in the in the in the changing room for me, and, and he knew that. I mean, but but Tony quickly did when he came in. He instilled that fitness, that you know, that hunger, that desire, that you know, come on, we're going to be really hard to beat. And he got rid of the the bad eggs. Mm. To be fair, and he saved us from going down. He got us in, you know, got us into an half decent position from where we was. And, I think I ended up playing about 35 games from that year. I think, you know, I really enjoyed playing. He was really tactically astute. He was a honest man and he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly how to get a result, whether it be a point or a win. He knew what to do. He wasn't like four fives and sixes. It was one, one nil, two one, two nil max. You know what I mean? He was, he knew exactly how to get a result, Tony. So I really enjoyed my time with him. It was, as a defender, I enjoyed, you know, listening to his, his thoughts and his tactics of, Defending and how to, how to kind of counter attack from defending and stuff. So that was a, a really big moment for me. When, when when Tony took over, it's like the club got some some identity back again, some some pride, some some hunger again to to turn this round.
0: Yeah, well, you got to remember that I'm living in Plymouth for this time. And when we talk about identity, right. Ian Holloway's spell was that was the that was the spell that turned Ian Holloway. For those of us in the West Country, we've known about Ian Holloway's personality since he was a Rovers player, but he went national um during yeah. his Plymouth career, didn't he?
4: Yeah, again, like chalk and cheese, Tony had all that, you know, structure, that discipline, <laughs> that this is way we this is how we're gonna stay in the league and, and he did it. And he left, I believe, at the right time because I think he I think he couldn't have really got any more out of that group of players when but then when Ian took over, and Ollie took over he then he can he kept the fundamentals there, but he wanted us to be so much more on the front foot, more exciting, so much more, you know, kind of free to play and, and run and express yourself, but also still have, you know, the principles that Tony instilled in the players. Yeah. He only kinda of gave that edge, you know, to, to go and be exciting, to go and play, to go and score and you know, that was and he, he started off in a really good way, only I think, like you say, his character um kind of shines and he's on he's on soccer AM, he's on the T V, he's on this, he's on that. Um and all that bubbly personality kind of shone through. And for me he wasn't a good coach. Gotta be honest, I didn't I didn't value his coaching, but he was the one of the best motivators I've ever come across in the game. You know, you would not see him all week and then he turn up on a Thursday or a Friday and then match day he comes alive, he brings you together and you know it's almost like, you know, listen listen to Ollie. Ollie will get you inspired to to run through bleeding walls you know mm. so Oli was an unbelievable motivator he spoke well he had a really good personality around uh, around the group of players uh, but like I say the coaching you know it wasn't so much great it was it was him as a person
0: yeah I saw a lot of Plymouth during that time and I remember you know Akos Bazaki, quite a few there was a mm. couple more Hungarians and there was championship manager legend Boyang. Jordich wasn't there, who was used to be at United <laughs> yeah. as well, who, who, yeah. like, he would show you a glimpse of absolute magic and then, I, I think yeah. I remember going first to watch Plymouth just to see him in the flesh, to see if he existed. <laughs>
4: well, I've come across Bo, I know Bo, He's, he obviously he works for MUTV United and we've, we've stayed in contact ever since, you know, the Plymouth days, Bo's doing really well now Good. with with his commentary work with... Over in Sweden and with MuTV, but yeah, it was really interesting for for Bojan because, like you say, I'd seen a bit of him, I'd heard a bit of him from Manchester United, and then he turns up at Plymouth, and you're expecting this and that, and he was just a normal lad. Yeah. People expected, I believe, too much of 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 Bowen. He was a lovely left foot left footed uh, midfield player, but I just think him and Oli didn't see eye to eye. It was it was really bizarre. I think he ended up playing for Plymouth Parkway for a period of time when he just signed. He went to Austria, come back from Austria. I don't know what happened, and then he's not in the team. In the team, then some things create some crazy things happen. You're like, what's going on here? Yes, I think him and Ollie had a love hate relationship. It was it was quite bizarre, really, because he was a talent. He was he was just how would you get the best out of him?
0: Yeah. A couple of things before we move to Swindon Town. Um, the first one is because. You don't get to talk about these sort of things that much on this podcast. You got to play against Real Madrid.
4: Yeah, Real Madrid was a, <laughs> a big, big, wonderful memory of mine, yeah. Uh, very proud to captain Plymouth Argyle in that game against Real Madrid and come up against some of them superstars that were in the team. And we give them a run for the money. So it was unfortunate. I think Lily and Alice gave a penalty by like 10 minutes to go. We um, was nil-nil and they beat beating us 1-0. But just being around that kind of... It was like euphoria. All the Plymouth fans all were playing playing Real Madrid and you know, I'll never forget it in Austria. It was just one of them kind of bizarre situations. They ended up paying for our hotel as well. Mm-hmm. We we was in their hotel and they kicked us out and paid for another one for us to stay in because they wanted our hotel. It was it's really bizarre <laughs> moment. Yeah.
0: yeah, I remember it because it was one... Plymouth lost its mind when that friendly was announced, but it was literally the, can we have your hotel? We'll give you a yeah. game. Proper, yeah. like, park rules, you know? It's just like, no, you're, yeah. all right then, go on. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, there, there was also a, a loan move briefly up back um, to Oldham, but the only reason I bring that up, because it was only a month's loan, was that you played alongside a certain Richie Wellens, now town manager. Yeah,
4: that's where I am. Um, I've always known about Richie before... United, before yeah. that happened but you know being at Man United I ended up playing with Richie yeah talented footballer lovely ability um, wonderful guy great guy got a lot of time for Richie so yeah, that's when the, the, obviously the first time we, we kind of got on the pitch together I think if I remember rightly we were away at Bradford and he ended up scoring he, I think we were 2-0 down I'm sure he scored the two goals to get us back at, um, uh, to be a draw so no, Richie was all, always a talent with Richie always a good football player very demanding as well Um you have probably seeing it on the side at, at, <laughs> at the county ground now aren't you so yeah oh, Richie. I still see Richie a lot his lads in the academy at Man United are doing yeah. really well um, so I'll see Richie from time to time and whenever I see him I always ask him how, how's, how he's getting on you know, and how's, how's he enjoying things and I always speak so highly of, of what he's doing so yeah I'm really pleased for Richie yeah
0: So here we are. Then we're at Swindon Town. What's this? Take four with with Luggy now. I think it's take four. It's yeah, take I four. It is. Well, oh, this no, is it. So Dundee United, United Plymouth, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. So, yeah. So it's it's take four. Um, yeah. But it is the final um, take with with Paul Sturrock. Um, we've talked a lot about Sturrock without really going into any detail. So what was he like in the changing rooms? What was he like as a manager? Of course, he had his staff with Kevin Summerfield and John Blackley as well. Um, yeah. what, what was the dynamic like? Why were they so successful as a trio?
4: I think they all, all had their own strengths and all had their own weaknesses and they all bounced off each other really well. They complemented each other, I think, as a... As the, as a threesome, the they all had different things to offer. Um, Kev Summers was always on the grass with with uh, Sloop, John Blackley. You know, Kev was always with the attackers, um, creative playing, and, and and Sloop was always the defenders. And I think I always remember uh, kind of luggy, never really took training, but he was always there, and you always knew you had to be on on form when, when the boss was there because you know he was quite harsh, Paul Sturrock, and I think. One of the things what, what I really liked about him, I mean, there was no messing about with, with him. It was it was bang on. You had to be at it. You had to be at, you had to be fit. You had to be dedicated to to the game. You had to be you had to be right on it. And I think he had two trusted guys in in Summers and and John Blackley. And I think they had a lovely mix. And I think they had a lot of success in that in that time with Plymouth. And then you know obviously going to Sheffield Wednesday in Swindon Town. There, good good. Good, honest people, you know, people who really just want to do well, want to earn a good living out of the game, and um, and they care about football and care about whatever club they've been at. They've always been true to the club. So I think what I kind of quickly found out when I signed, signed for uh, Plymouth Argyle, when the three of them were there, it was there was no messing about. It was just this is it. This, These are the coaches. This is the manager. Everybody's on it. We all know what we're going to do. And it was it was done right. Like I say, luggie wasn't a great coach. Like I say, bit like Ollie. but different to Oli, luggie had just had that that kind of presence about him. He knew at the right time when to say something, when he didn't need to say something. He knew when he was angry, when he was happy. And I think as a manager, it wasn't even his man management skills. It was just the presence of him and and the I guess the the environment he created of that hard work. He got it. He got it out of everyone, and that's what I really—I guess—I think. What he got the most out of me, even though I don't think he, he'd honestly say, "Think we weren't best mates, we would go for, for a drink together or bite to eat." But he knew what he was getting out of me, and I knew what I was getting out of him. And I guess for for me to sign for him four times, and him want me to sign for him four times, it's like there's something that's really quite endearing. It's quite nice that that happens because sometimes you'll sign for someone and he does not like you. It ends up like I don't like him. He's going. But I think I've had nearly 10 years of football through, through Paul Sturrock and I'm, I'm really grateful to him. So I haven't seen him for a while, which is a bit disappointing. But I plan to go down to Plymouth to, to catch up with a few people and he'll certainly be on the list to go and see.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the, the season before you signed for Swindon, when, when, when Sturrock arrived, that was the moment I knew Swindon were going to go up. Or at least that was the moment I knew Swindon would be fine because... you. You get you get what you see yeah. when it comes to a sorry yeah. side. He, he It's not necessarily the prettiest football in the world, but it gets mm. stuff done, which was what Swinder needed at that time. Um, did you ever take part in any of his uh, dressing room bets?
4: What do you mean by that? Yeah, they, a few, done, a yeah. few wages. They
0: a few wages. You're going to score today. I'm putting money yeah, on. Yeah, there you. was, a, was a few of guys them. Have said up. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've
4: got. Yeah, there were. There were some internal <laughs> bets going on, and I think they were just part. That, that's what I'm saying. The good part about it, he had. He had that man management there, which wasn't like this is how you need to be on the pitch. And it, it, was, it was just a sort of way of of you know, it was a really weird thing actually. You, you know, your manage having little bets here, and it was like a really weird way of coaching, if you know what I mean. Some motivation. You, you get, yeah, it was yeah. I was involved in it. It was <laughs> so he had his unique ways. We were good. Well, you had
0: two chances by the side by the uh, you had two chances to sign for Swindon. The first one back in two thousand with Colin Todd. Is yeah. at a time where Swindon are sort of dancing on a volcano. Things are just about to go crazy, not in a great way. And mm. you kind of join Swindon. That when you do actually sign for Swindon, it's in the same situation. So Starick brings you in, but we're just around the corner from from a potential takeover, including one of your old teammates, Rufus Brevett, Best Holdings. Yep. We'll get to that in just a moment, but what what was the feeling that summer when you joined? Was it was because, it you know, this could be any team in the country, but I'm joining Sturrock, or was there a genuine sort of feel that Swindon was the right fit?
4: Um, I think a bit of both, if I'm honest with you. Paul, Paul Sturrock, again, sure. what it's offered me in over three years. Um, I was comfortable at Plymouth Argyle. I was playing um, up until, I reckon, maybe three weeks before, four weeks before, Um things started to change for me at Plymouth. Things you know, I think Ian Holloway signed a few players, which affected me a little bit, but still my family was based down there. I was I was fine. I was I was doing well in terms of my life was was good there. So it was if I'm to leave Plymouth, I need to why, where am I leaving? Why am I going? What's it for? So when I spoke to Luggy about Swindon Town, he, he sold me something which I thought he could be another Plymouth Hagalist because he, he to me he had the passion that he wanted to do well for Swindon, he wanted to, to get Swindon kind of up and as a strong team, doing well in the Championship. And from what I'd seen prior, I, I just had that good feeling that of course he could do it. He'd had his promotion before and I came. You're thinking, there's no reason why not here. There's no reason why he can't establish the club strong up uh, up into the Championship. But that was probably alongside when I'm looking at Swindon Town as well, I'm thinking, what oh, the hell? Glenn, I always played for them. You know, this is a big team, this is a big club, you know, it's a great move for me. It's closer to mo to home. It's not Plymouth, it's not millions and millions of miles away. It's not that far, you know, in terms of geography from Manchester. You know, it's I know it's not round the corner, but it was almost a step closer to to home. And I just thought at that time it was a great move, it was a great fit for me, great one for Luggy, Um probably gonna get certainly that first year when it was total fit, you would get get a good me, very good me, and I think looking back at it, it was it was the right thing to do at that time
0: yeah I mean appearance wise in the league it's your, it's your best season for yeah. for appearances you know of course your, your time at Plymouth and Dundee United are, are the times that you look back the most fondly but well, the most fondest but but it, it was that first season for you I mean you're installed as captain instantly um the elements were right I mean I was really happy being based in Plymouth the year before, I'd moved by the time you signed, but actually, I was still there just about, and and I was really, really happy because I've I've watched you loads of times play for Plymouth, so it was it was a great signing, and all indications in that first season
4: were good. Well, I was fit. Well, but yeah. that, well, that was it. I was fit. I didn't get one injury. I think I might had a few whacks here and there, but I was consistently playing week in week out, and I really, really loved it. I really enjoyed it. I think, I remember rightly, the Swindon advertiser was quite close with. The reporter there, um, even the the radio station. It was in terms of the community, for me to be involved in, I thought, do you know what? Things are going so well on the pitch and off the pitch. I mean, I'm doing well for for Swindon as well. I'm doing things that I'll probably never do before. You know, go on the radio, do things for for the paper, go go and visit community. You know, things for the club. it was almost there was no there was no stress whatsoever. It was it was great for me and I enjoyed I, I enjoyed being captain of the club. and I think at the end of it I was player of the season through the through the for the paper for remember rightly, they give me the, the player of the year thing so you know in terms of that yeah first year at Swindon I loved it I loved being there I loved being at the club I loved, the fans were great you know you could see the fans wanted more you could feel it you could feel it in the match The match days you just knew that they want more they want they want which any any normal fan would want they want to see to well, see the team doing well winning games and ultimately getting promoted that was the feeling
0: i certainly got. Who were your early allies at the club when you signed? So who, who do you sort of latch on to? Is it the players that, I mean, this is historic era, so, you know, you've probably played with half of the side through Eastern to the Plymouth guys as well. But was, yeah. was it was it like a clique in that respect or did you get involved with like the other players as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, for me, again, it was quite difficult for me to come into the club and obviously become captain. I think I said to, to Luggy at the time, he's called, could be a bit of a problem. But he said, just get on with it and you'll you'll, you'll find your way. And, and to be fair, the, a lot of them, especially that first year, there was great guys, Lee Peacock, an amazing character, wonderful kind of person. And there was like him, there was Lee um, what do you call it? Um, McGovern, JP McGovern, wonderful character again, very um, outgoing. So these guys, you've got Christian Roberts, who who had played against in previous seasons for when I was at Plymouth Argyle I was seeing him knocking about and you think he's a dangerous player. So there were certainly players at the club you're going, these are really top players, you know, they've the strong, the are good the good good players for the club. So I think uh, you know you latch on to people you kinda know. Obviously Easty was, was a certain one because I played him prior. But I found being in Swindon it was it was there wasn't really too many clicks. I I just got on with mostly everyone at that time. It was very hard not to Obviously, being a captain, I couldn't. I couldn't find myself in in clicks. It was. It was be, that'd be a bit silly of me. So, I always kind of opened my door. moved I moved in quite quickly. bought a house in, I think it's Priory Vale, um, uh, and I, tr- I made home straight away. I just wanted it to. I didn't want to rent anyway and keep flying back to Manchester all the time. It was. I'm setting up base in Swindon. I'm going to try and do this correctly, the best mm. I could. And certainly, that first year, it was a good year. I mean. Swindon,
0: i don't know because it was a first season back from from league 2 i don't know if i expected us to do more than we did on the pitch but do you think the sort of turmoil of the club being in financial issue and the and the, the attempted takeover by best holdings and then the the eventual takeover by andrew Black's consortium with andrew fitton do you, does that have an impact on footballers
4: it did at the time because if you you know these are not premier league footballers we're all Play, you know paying for mortgages and everything that was going on at the time these players there that needed money and and that was the cold cold fact of it so you're playing you say it's playing but it's a job and you're getting paid for your job and you need you need your money to pay your bills so I was putting out fires as a captain if I remember you know I was going to see the manager I was going to speak to the board at the time as well and saying look come on what's going on here um and it, it, it's almost kind of dominated the press it dominated the change room a little bit people were unhappy about not being paid on time mm. and it, it you just don't need that you don't need anything to, to get in the way of what ultimately what you're you're there to do is go and play football and, and go and win games and, and, and do the best for, for your football club it just turned out to be a bit of a circus to be honest with you for a, for a period of time that didn't need to happen obviously Luggy left mm. you know he'd left and we had obviously a new manager come in he was just it was just a little bit uncertain and I don't, I don't think players like things like that they just want to know what what's going on um, and I think at the time it was it was difficult mm. Do you think Paul
0: storick stays I know the lure of Plymouth would have probably been quite strong even if we were top of the league with loads of money but do you think he would have stayed had it been a little bit more stable at Swindon at the time
4: I couldn't you know you'd have to ask him that sure. but he loves Plymouth yeah. and I think if he could get back to Plymouth Paul so it was going back to Plymouth so I know he did good things at Swindon Town but if, Paul Sturrock would be, if you was to cut him now, he'd be cutting out green. <laughs> that's the way I see Paul Sturrock. So, yeah, I think he would. if he's getting an opportunity to go back, I would say he calls it home. He goes home. Um, yeah. And I thought for me at the time, it I didn't take it personal. I was just like, it was gutted for the club because Paul knows how to win games of football. As you know, he knows how to get uh, promotions. And I think that's what the club needed. He just needed a guy who knows how to do it. Mm. Well,
0: we need to talk about your celebration.
4: Uh, <laughs> well, again, this is the <laughs> the times at Swindon Town were great. So, people like Billy Painter, uh, Michael Timlin, uh, there's so many characters there. But what, I, what had happened is I was playing with, again, the story of my, my career probably, with a, a few injuries. I was patched up for this game. I can't remember what it was now, who it was. But the advertisers got hold of me, obviously not training. I'm, I've got this problem, I've got that problem. And on the Friday before the Saturday, they put me in um in a Superman outfit. So I'm in the, I'm in the changing room on the Saturday before the game. I think it was the Saturday. Oh no, was it the Tuesday night? It was the, it was literally the day of the game. So the day before the game, the the advertiser put this picture of me being in the Superman outfit. And then on the day of the game I've come in and it's all, all the pictures are all over the changing room. So I'm laughing my head off. I'm taking a bit of a bit of the banter. Mm. So I'm named in the team, fit to play. And then Billy Painter comes out with the Superman shorts or underpants and goes, look, you've got to wear them. I'm like, what? He went, no, you have to wear them. You, you're Superman. <laughs> so they're all like, kind of like golding me to wear them. I'm like, all right, go on, I'll wear them. He said, I'll tell you what, though, As, if we score, we have to do it, celebrate with, with the with the underpants. I'm like, no. He went, no, you have to do it. You have to do it. And for whatever reason, we, we banged a goal in. It wasn't even me who scored. I think it was Bill. I don't know if it, it might have been Billy. That was it. We went over, celebrated, the shorts came down and the Superman pants are there. So I never live it down, do I? I, I hear it everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: you
0: know, a legacy is a legacy, right?
4: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's it was all kind of fun. Obviously, at the time, the manager at the time didn't know what was going and came in at the end of the game. So what's going on there? <laughs> so it was just a bit of banter. Yeah, don't, don't ever do that again. Uh... Even the referee pulled me. Said I was going to book you for that, but I didn't even know what to do. I have seen some <laughs> Superman uh, things on you on your underwear. Like, he didn't book me for it, so yeah, that's
0: it. Stunned Crazy. them into um, just a, yeah. a, a warning. Um, I've spoken to a couple of the guys from from this era, and I think Callum Kennedy said it. Yeah. Where when it comes to Morris Malpass... Other than the the game of inches sort of speech from any given Sunday, they, they can't remember anything of his tenure. <laughs>
4: yeah, which is one It's a difficult one for for Mo because I Mo was one of the coaches up in up in Scotland at Dundee United yeah. for me, um, and I literally went up to Dundee United and took his position. So that was the first thing. It was quite difficult for me to take his. He's, he's yeah. a living legend oh, up in yes. Dundee, honestly. If you walk, if you go to Scotland, everybody knows Mo, Mo yeah. Malpass. So, um, I then became he became a bit of a mentor for me up in Scotland. He was, you know, he was a left back. I was playing left back, and he helped me through it. So, obviously, when Morris took over from, you know, obviously took over Swindon Town, it was for me. He was a familiar kind of person for me. Um, I knew it was going to be some, difficult because people don't know who he is down down in Swindon or, or even the south of of, of the border. So you like. You know, you need to win games. You know, we we spoke and we said, look, we need to get off the ground. Running, he, he needs to win games of football, and he was quite a a reserved character. I wouldn't say dour, but I would say he's reserved, and was quite he's quite a charming person as well. You get any time with him, he was a lovely, lovely man. But it's very difficult when you come in to you know a, a club like Swindon Town. It's not near Scotland, and it's not really got the understanding of of Morris Malpas or what he's done in his in his career. Mm-hmm. So, he, like I say, he to buy time for him and to do anything right, he's got to almost come into Swindon and be, be a, a, a character. You know, people like you talk about Ian Holloway; could he'd have to be something like that, and he has to win his games of football. So, I remember a game we played. I think it was Forest. Some amazing football we played. I think we beat them two one. I think that was game one. <laughs> yeah, that might be the game. Yeah. But you, you look and go, actually, when you look yeah. at it. It was a lot of it was through, but Morris, Morris wanted it was. You could see what it was. It was hard work. It was passion. It was, you know, play with with no fear and have quality. But for some reason, he never got across. And you know, he had that was his stab at management. I think.
1: Yeah. And it
4: obviously didn't go too well for him, which which I'm I'm sorry for because Morris is a wonderful person. He really is. He's a he's a he's a charming man.
0: No, I mean, my stepdad's Scottish, so. I've—I mean, my um, my family up there are Hibs fans, so I've followed Scottish football for as long as I can remember. And Morris Malpass when he when he came to Swindon, in my mind, I mean, this is World Cup ninety. This is you know yeah. Dundee United when they were in the eighties, when they were you know just pretty much the tail end of. Sturrock's glory days when they're reaching European semi-finals and things like that but he was a huge name and I and it's kind of that bubble situation where when I was reading the comments on Swindon forums and things like that where they were like who I was like Small yeah. Malpass you know he's, he's played about 600 times for Dundee United he's played at World Cups but yeah. it's, it, it, it was a very unfortunate time and it was you know, he always struck me as a coach, not a manager, maybe, yeah. more than anything. But, you know, he he took he took a big risk in coming down to Swindon and it didn't work out. And, you know, Danny Wilson comes in and does the rest. But it's time for us to go into that second and third season now where things begin to unravel um, for you in, in terms of the relationship with Swindon Town. Maybe not in the dressing room because everyone that I talk to, especially in the third season where you don't play at all you're one still one of the pivotal figures in the dressing room, one of the sort of livelier members.
4: Yeah. It's a shame, really, how, how football is, but, you know, it happens, and I think you learn by things that happen, don't you? And The disappointing thing for me with how it all kind of ended, it was obviously I, added, I thought what I had was a wonderful relationship with with the club and with the fans, and everything I said or did was always, you know, for the best of Swindon and the players and the fans, really it was just difficult obviously getting injured and at the time I think when I got injured it was it was a tough one for me to take it was near enough a career ending injury so that season wasn't easy for us you know leading up to my injury so you know when I got injured I think it was around the Christmas time you know things were happening um, behind the scenes which weren't great for me but then you know you, you get injured and then things kind of snowball really you're out the scene and you know, people are saying this and saying that, and really, I'm I'm still there. People are still asking me the question, "What's going on here?" You know, and you're having to answer questions, but all I, all my intentions were always was to, to get fit for myself and to get back playing for Swindon and, you know, support support my teammates as as a captain or a club captain, which I end up being and like, like you say, you know, I have so many friends in Swindon. I've got loads now, uh, people who don't know me, obviously. You know, they, they have their opinion, but people who do know me know that I I I had a home in Swindon. I love being there. I love being around the place. I think it's a great place. The club's a wonderful club. It's just like a a sleeping giant. Um, obviously, fans have their opinion. People, you know, one minute a flavour of the month, the next minute they hated. I get that with football. It's just sometimes when they, when that person speaks up, it's not great because it becomes an emotional reaction, and sometimes it's not meant, but. You know, you some you, when you're hearing so many things labeled against you or said against you, sometimes you say things that anybody in any walk of life do. So, mm. um, that's that's where I stand with it. I, I've you know, I have no no regrets with Swindon Town whatsoever, even when I've re, you know, kind of re, injured and, and not playing and being around it. There's no people can say what they like, things happen for reasons. and you know, for for me with Swindon Town, I just think it's a it's a great football club. It's it's a, a truly big club that just needs to to do well. So even at the time when I, when I was injured and getting myself back fit, and then you know the times with Danny Wilson really you know behind the scenes weren't great. And I've never fell out with a manager before. And you know, even speaking on this podcast now, he I don't even know if he'll even remember me, but. He was difficult to deal with as a manager because every manager that I've had is, I've always been respectful to me, but he didn't respect the injury I had. He didn't respect everything that I was trying to do to get back fit. My injury was a unique kind of injury, and one that Ledley King had in at Spurs and he was taken care of, whereas Danny didn't understand what I was doing because I couldn't train during the week. He was like, I don't get why you can't train. You need to train and play. And i never forget, it was like one moment on the training ground. I tried... I tried to do what he wanted me to do and my knee literally was hanging off. It was like, while I was running, it was like, you can't do this, hasn't it? And it was screaming at me, my knee. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop and he's like, he just said to me, what are you stopping for? I said, because I can't do it, I can't run. Well, you're not fit to play. I said, well, there's a way of managing this. And the, manager was not, the management was not doing a load, a load of, you know, kind of repetitive running on my knee. It was like, save that for match day. And yeah. then you, you'll take two or three days to recover. But that's where, in terms of communication, I lost all respect for that man because I say I was a senior member, or well, senior pro, at the, at the club, and for me it was difficult to, for a manager to come in. Which, and rightly so, he changed the team. He bought players in and put an amazing captain in, in Gordon Gray. I honestly I look, I looked at him and I thought, you're a, you're a, you're an outstanding footballer, but you're you're a great human being as well. And I was so pleased, obviously not being in, not being fit and being able to be a captain for the team. Gordon comes in and and he's a wonderful footballer, but yet he's a better better person as well. So, you know, that's where I I was with it. And I was very, very much disappointed with where he was treated by Danny Wilson. And like I say, I won't go into it too much more, but there was a lot more dealings where I was shocked by what he was trying to make me do, not just through the football, but with my home and stuff like that, which people don't get to see because it was pretty much so. Yeah, that's... It's a, it's a shame the way it kind of ended, but it was never for me to, to leave there with a bit of, you know, kind of sour grapes. It was obviously my time's done there. The, the club, I hope they, you know, they move forward and, and do what they need to. I still had, you know, the majority of that change room with all my friends.
0: Yeah.
4: You know, when I did leave, I, we ended up going to Cheltenham races not so long after yeah. when I signed for Oldham Athletic. You know, we was all at in a box at Cheltenham together. So, you know.
0: <laughs> is, is the relationship with Danny Wilson the reason why a year later when swindon are relegated um in 2011 just over a year later am i right in saying you took to twitter to show your delight in swindon's relegation
4: no this is another thing so there Ooh. was a an apparent an, a, a, a twitter account and that ah, was mine you see yeah this is what people don't realize no i've never really been on no in fact i don't even think i've ever been on twitter
0: wow so that was a fake account and well people... this
4: is the thing because it came back to old athletic and i'm on the golf course and, yeah. and the ceo and he said have you been writing things on twitter about what and i said what and you know he said you, you you're happy about swindon getting relegated and I never forget it I'm like, what the hell are you talking about what the hell and that was it that was literally that that was that and it was Dead embarrassing, really, for, for whoever tried to do that to me.
1: Yeah. But
4: I've never need, I don't need to speak about that. I don't need to say no, no, no. it wasn't me. it Was me. I, I just think at that time it was laughable. I'd left the club a long time. I had friends still there. It was it was crazy. It was it was like who who would do this? But but anyway. Yeah, I, I think I think
0: Twitter's it's in that early stages in 2011 where someone signs up as Hasney with your year of birth then people automatically, well, of course it is, there you know, go. and things like that. I mean, the, the one when you were a player, the one that I really couldn't understand, you know, and I've got no problem, I'm, I'm a more relaxed football fan, is when, yeah. you, when you told the press, the players, the quote was, the players are scared of playing at the county grounds. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that's the case still today. When I, I remember reading that and going, well, he's right it is it is not toxic, but we are quite nervous, a fan base, and I think that's built on um, an understandable reason. We have been around, you know, um, for every great moment, there are two or three sort of steps backwards with Swindon Town, and I think that we are we are products of of that of that history, mm-hmm. to be honest. But I don't think it's it's out of line to say, especially when you're captain, to say, well, do you know what we need a little bit more support.
4: Well I think going back to the time and again I, you could say this for every single club in the land is you that know, they get fans get frustrated yeah you know it, things happen whether in a game or the club itself and these anger vented and because it's a passion it's a love, of people w- want to go and and see good things and when it's not happening people have a right to say what they feel because that's that's the way it's always been and uh, as a footballer you have to grow up and have thick skin to t- to take that you know you you like all the good things. You hear all the good things about you, but then you've got to. It's all part of the, you know, the 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 idea of want to be a footballer. It, you get the great times, but then there's going to be some tough times as well. And fans being the biggest thing because fans love the club. So players come from club to club, and they might not love the love it, but you know, fans love the club. Mm. So my point point at the time, I think it was one of the local players. It was Michael Pook. I think Pookie was playing. And when you're playing, you can you can kind of hear things when the, one of your teammates is getting on the ball or something. You know, what wasn't too great. The, and it was just, it's almost like you're just sticking up for your teammates. It was always me who had to kind of face the press. And in the changing room, everyone was saying it was like, you know, when the fans going to lay off Pookie or you know, I think it might have been another player. I can't remember, you know, really that much. But I just do know that obviously I was the the voice of the changing room. It was it was like a collective, you know. We are trying our best. We do want to do well. Nobody goes out on the pitch to to, to do bad things or a bad time. Why don't you see that? And it was like Well actually at the time Pookie's is a young kid and you know he needs support whether whether anybody likes or he doesn't don't like he was having a tough time but the you know the club were, he's a young kid coming through through Swindon Town, he's from Swindon so I think he was one of them and and there was a couple of us but they're what you're looking for is, it, uh, I guess, you probably do it the wrong way, don't you? There's me going out there, you know, players are anxious or fans need to do more. But it's like anything, you've got you've got to perform. You've got to perform on the pitch for the, pan, the, the fans to be happy. Yeah. And that's it. It's as straightforward as that. But sometimes, and I won't be the first or the last, captains or people in the team sometimes come out and speak to the press and have to say hard things, which... Ultimately, they will get the the, the for it. But if it does the right thing for the team, then great, because that's what it's about, and that's sometimes that's what that's what a role of a captain is, mm. or a leader within the group. You know, you have to come and do things which, you know, fundamentally might not be the right thing or the best thing. But you know, actually, for for the best of the the club itself, you know, look at the bigger picture, you know. And and I think for one of them reasons, that's probably why I would I'd said it said. Is because it, it was the time that it needed to be said. It was like, come on, let's just all get behind behind us.
0: Michael Pook's a funny one because nowadays it's very, you know, having one of your own is is hugely popular. But Pook yeah. played over
4: a hundred times to Swindon and never
0: really yeah. won the town
4: fans over, did he? Yeah, it's a shame because Pookie. When I came, I looked at him and just seen this young lad playing for his for for his hometown club and. He was really proud. He was, and he's very nervous at the same time. Obviously, all his friends are from Swindon, and all the rest of it. And you're like, this is great for Swindon Town. You've got one of your own in the team, and you, you want to try and keep him in the team because he, he, is one who actually loves the club, you know. Mm. Um, and, and Pookie, you know whether he, his performances were good enough or not. Pookie loves Swindon Town. It was, it was, and you've seen, you've seen the how, how hard he took it, and how, how emotionally he, he would get when. You know, it might be a couple of boos, but to him, one boo would be the world's you know kind of worst thing. So, Pookie, I think you know what we were trying to do within the dressing room was get round someone like Pookie, you know, and and look after him. And and there's me just trying to, you know, get us all together. Maybe said the wrong way coming out of the press. I don't know it could have been said by somebody else, but you know, it's football. We I understand. You know, I go to games myself and I'll and I'll shout at some or my kids will shout at something. You go. They are trying the best here, actually. And when you think about it, they are really are trying the best. But football is football, and that's what it's that's that's what it's there for, isn't it? carry on
3: the ball. He's got Ward with him. Timing of the pass is crucial. A touch and shoot. Yes, you bet. You bet.
0: For you, you—it's very quick. That like you'll 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 move to Oldham. I mean, what was it? One appearance, and and then and then that yeah. that's it. How did you? When did you realize that your career was coming to end? Perhaps earlier than you would want to. And did you have a plan to go into coaching before that? Was was it methodical? Or was it very much you got lucky and you, it it just worked out for you?
4: Well, I was always kind of. Um... Hiding beneath the sheets of Monastery. I never really wanted to stop playing when I did. Uh, you know, at the age of 31, coming up to 32, it wasn't, I always thought I'd get to 35, you know, because yeah. I always wanted to do that. So it was, when it got to that point, obviously it was a serious injury at to Swindon Town. Going to Oldham, the manager really, if I'm looking, you know, being honest, he looked after me. He knew I needed to go out of Swindon because I was getting, getting to a point Danny Wilson did not understand me and I just, I just needed a bit someone to help me and get you know get closer to home near my family, and and Dave Penny at the time he he did it he looked after me and give me give me a job for for three months and he quickly found out I was I was a, a good guy for him in the changing room more than anything else and he gave me a game at the end he knew I couldn't really run that much in the end because I didn't do that much it took that like, it took its toll so my time not being able to train um, it really in the end I couldn't get myself match fit and it wasn't fair on. Me telling uh, Dave, you know, you need to play me because I wasn't able to play, you know, the levels that I needed to. So he give me, he give me a game of football, really more or less. To he knew that was more or less me um, mm. at that point. So I think for me at the time it was hard to take. I still went into the summer when I left Oldham. I thanked them. I was still thinking that there's a possibly, and in fact, if I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Paul Studd was at South End and <laughs> there was discussions. Let me tell you that. So. But then I quickly spoke to the surgeon about me potentially playing one more year, and he's like, "You do it one more year, as you know your your knees going to be. You know, you're talking wheelchair stuff. Yeah. It's going to be that bad." So that was it. I had to I had to do it. I had to stop. And then Oldham Paul Dickov recognized actually I'm retiring. He he kind of took over, and I, I kind of stayed. I stayed in with a was a reserve team um, for no money. Didn't get any money for it. And I end up going working with their under fourteens as well for for no, no money at all. So it was it was almost like they kept me in the game. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know if it was coaching that I wanted to do, but end up staying in there for a little bit of time and started doing other little things within football for free. And I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna, have a go- I'm gonna have a right go. I'm gonna try and educate myself, get the awards, the qualifications, and then who knows? And that was that's really really with no break from stopping Coming out of the game and really kind of reflecting on my football career, what should I do next? How how is it going to work? Kind of was dead lucky really to to step into that and, and really enjoy doing what I was doing.
0: Yeah, and you can't really sort of waltz into Manchester United, high five a few people, and say, when do I start? <laughs> can you? You've got to, no. you've got to be you've got you've got to have a philosophy, and you've got to be signed up to the way they want their youngsters to develop, haven't they?
4: Yeah, and again, going back to me having to be open minded and, and know that actually this isn't about money or, you know, I'm going to struggle here, you know, you, retiring from football, the whole change is going to be there. But if I want to try and have another life, another go at something different, I'm going to have to put the groundwork in. And, you know, all that, what I did with Oldham and I did something for Berry Town football, uh, Berry, Berry Town team, which was like the school's thing on a Saturday. I'd get, you know, about, I bought like 10 balls for £100 and I took their team on a Saturday morning. I think when I went to Manchester United, I went to seek advice of an old coach of mine who, who was at the club still. You know, He kept giving me advice. He kept saying, look, do this, do that, keep that. keep." And I think they kind of watched from afar, seeing, you know, I'm not in it to be at Man United for the course oh, Man United, you know, as he can do what he wants. But they see now I was prepared to roll my sleeves up and, and, and graft and do all the things... That you you know you probably would not associate the next player doing you know honestly you're talking like real grassroots you know getting your getting everything in your car driving to all these places doing it for now and nobody sees anything and it's like who's going to look at who's going to know what I'm doing who's going to help to a year later you know getting that opportunity to go into uh, Manchester United as a, as a youth coach it was it was like oh my god here we go you know so. It kind of that all started really properly from that year of transition of working at Oldham Athletics from the 14s and the reserve team and doing Bury Town teams all for now just here there and everywhere what, washing football kits and all from literally you know having everything done done for you and being in the limelight to now going to park pitches on a Saturday morning Sunday morning for for now and you know hoping at some at some point something's going to you know work for you. You know, with that it was it was unbelievable actually looking back at it.
0: Yeah, and and final question on the coaching, how you how are you finding now because when you're a footballer, you're in charge of your own career really. You know, you work hard, you play well, you keep your place in the team, and now you oversee the futures of loads of sort of wide eyed children that wanna become Premier League superstars, how it, it, do you feel that pressure? Is there a pressure, or is it very much? Um, this is what you were born to do, really. And how are you finding it?
4: Um, I've been there now nearly. It's, it's my ninth season, so for me, um, every day I walk through, you know, or I'll drive through the, the gates at Man United. I just feel so lucky to, you know, to be able to go into an environment and. And work, if you call it work, it's you know, the best club in the world for me. It's not a job. You know, I'm so lucky to go in there. So first of all, you know, that alone is is an unbelievable thing to have and to have is is a special thing. The next thing what you're saying there, there's no pressure apart from you know, living the the Man United values, living, you know, the core values of the of the club and being a good person, being a you know, a custodian of the club and, and making sure that you're giving the, each kid the the right attention, right care, to, keep, to give them the opportunity to go and be a football player. If if it's Man United, unbelievable. You know, it's, it's very small percent of the boys that are coming through that that can play for Man United. But ultimately, my job is to to develop and, and guide and facilitate a pathway for every player that comes across my way. And that's not a pressure. That's that's something that I try I love doing it's always it's always been a a real kind of joy when I see players go through and play football and if it's not man united elsewhere around the country it's I get a lot of fo- well, I have had a lot of fulfillment from from seeing that and doing that mm. um so that's where I'm at with with the kind of job I have it's a, I'm very fortunate to be in a, you know, at the club and be around so many amazing um, talented people yeah and
0: and who have come through and in- I mean you've been there a fair few years now so some of them must be just coming in and in pro football now
4: Yeah I mean look, your obvious ones obviously Marcus Rashford he's, he's a clear one he's he's flying now Marcus and yeah. there's been a lot in between Marcus and I say the latest one is you know you're talking to really Brandon Williams who's the last you know the latest one to come through Mason Greenwood Jimmy Garner you know, there's so, so many that have come through the academy that have been fortunate to to play a small part in their in their journeys. You know, mm. that's that's a great thing when when we see them, especially when we see them at Old Trafford, and they do come right through the club, through the academy, and they get onto onto Old Trafford. It's you know, it's a it's a nice it's a nice feeling for everyone that's been involved within that kid's pathway. You know, it's it's something quite special that we all know. We don't shout above the rooftops about it. It's not something. I go out there on my Instagram page or Facebook and, and go, yeah, that's one of my players, or this is me, cool. this is about me, this is this is a collective through, you know, experienced people being around, you know, being being able to not just coach but develop the person, develop um, young lads to be better people, um, to be humble and be fortunate to what you know what they have, and that's that's part of my role, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the future? But obviously for the last nine years, I've been dead lucky to, to learn from the best, educate myself. I've got all the awards, you know, I've got all the coaching badges, etc. cetera. It's, you know, I'm lucky to, to have done it for the last nine years in that environment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've both got work in the morning. Um, at time recording, <laughs> it's almost, uh, it's almost 10 to 11 at night. So we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with a Swindon related question that I like to ask. If, and any anecdote will be, will be great at this stage. Is What, what is, The thing that you think of positive, anyway, when you think of Swindon Town.
4: Do you know what I do? I think when the county grounds buzzing, it's a wonderful place to be. That that stadium when it's full and and the fans are cheering, you know, it's a it's a great place for Swindon Town to you know to play at. And I think, you know, what my fond memories are when when you when you when you score a goal at that place. You know, you can hear the the fans sing so proud, you know, proudly of the team. And I think when I think about Swindon Town, I, I see red. I see, I see, is it SM1? I see that. I see all that the amazing things that go on at Swindon. And I think definitely that ground. You know, if you get a good team on that pitch, you know that place can be, a, you know, a, a really buzzing place. And I think like anywhere, your team can can dictate the town by doing so well. You know, it can, it can. Bring anything it wants to to that place, and you can have a great time. So yeah, I always think of Swindon Town. Of you know, it's a, it's a sleeping giant for me. It's a, it's a club that can certainly go higher and better. It's a great football club with great people who work work in it. And you know, obviously one of my mates is now the manager there, and I hope he does really well and he stays there for a long time. And it, and he he helps that team get get higher, get get better, bring better players. You know, the fans come I'm, I'm come to that because he's playing you know some amazing football. That's my that's that's what I want for Swindon, and that's what I see, that's what I feel about Swindon Town. I just think it's a it's a great place to be. You know, just hope it, it gets to the place it deserves to be. And I'm sure by Richie being there, I know Richie's a is a, a prudent for for good football and wants to play football the right way. Um, and I'm hoping that he gets the results to get that club up into the next division and like I say consolidate and go again. That's that's what I want for that club.
0: Amen to that, hasn't he? Thank you very much.
4: No problem. Thank you very much.
0: The Love Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening.
1: It's a grand old team to play for, (laughs) and it's a grand old team to see, and if you know the history, it's enough to make your heart go, we don't care what the Newcastle say, what the hell do we care, cause we only know that there's gonna be a show, and it's wind and time.